Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast for our look at the beautiful game. From the Champions League to the National League and beyond. My name is Chess Warren and I'm joined by some very special guests today. Now we have Andrew Rayburn from the Women's Soccer Coaching Magazine, former FA and Aston Villa media officer Emily Lyles, and our special guest for this week is former Sunderland ladies and now Lugano FF defender Charlotte Potts. Thank you so much for all coming on the show today. Later, we're also going to be speaking to Radha Gupta from Beyond 90's coverage of the Asia Cup, which is currently taking place in India at the moment. Now, before we get into FA Cup action and all of the other lovely things we're going to be covering in the show today, there was actually two WSL games midweek this week. Chelsea are in second after they beat an informed West Ham, Beth England and Erin Cuthbert with the goals. Emma Hayes has challenged Cuthbert to weigh in more with goals throughout her performances. West Ham didn't actually register a shot on target as their five-game unbeaten run comes to an end. 24 hours later, Arsenal moved back four points clear as they beat Brighton 2-1 in a performance Jonas Eideval described as them rediscovering their identity. Emma Coivisto ended Albion's eight-game goal drought by opening the scoring only for Viviana Miedemar to level before Beth Mead won it with a free kick. Mead's assist for Miedemar's goal means that she's now drawn level with Karen Carney for the most WSL history with 35. Now onto this weekend now, it was FA Cup weekend. We won't be covering every fixture in detail because there were 16 matches over the weekend because it was the fourth round. And if we spoke about each one of them in depth, I think this episode would be about four hours long. But we're just going to be chatting about the standout fixtures for today. The first one is Tottenham v Leicester. There was upset at the Hive this weekend as Leicester sent Tottenham crashing out of the FA Cup after extra time. Tottenham's Angela Addison opened up the scoring by the home side in the 61st minute with a left-footed shot. Leicester's Shannon O'Brien equalised in the 82nd minute but neither side could break the deadlock before the end of the 90, so the game had to go into extra time. One minute into extra time, Sophie Howard struck a shot straight past the keeper to put the visitors 2-1 up. And in the dying moments of the game, Esme de Graff sealed the game by putting another past Becky Spencer to make it 3-1 to Leicester. Now, Leicester can be a very tricky side, but with Tottenham in its current form, they would have wanted to win this one, right? Now... Emily, what do you think went wrong for them? It's really hard to say, isn't it? I think you do often see it in sport and certainly in football when it when it comes to the cup, teams that perhaps have been struggling in the league, struggling to get the results, do do well and almost, I don't want to say play with the shackles off and play with freedom, but you can see sort of a difference in performance. And I guess on the flip side of that, looking from a Tottenham point of view, maybe they did go into it thinking that they had a strong chance of winning um, wouldn't for one minute say they were kind of resting on their laurels or anything like that. But I think it, it's really, really difficult. And I think sometimes you just kind of have to remember that these cup games are one-off games. They don't necessarily go with the form table. And credit to Leicester, it's a really, really big result. And I think it will be interesting to see if that now translates into their league matches, which hopefully from their side of things, it will do. Completely. Now, Charlotte, do you think it was more of a positive performance from Leicester than a negative performance from Tottenham? 
Uh, I haven't necessarily seen the highlights, but just the highlight for that game, but just going off hearing about it from you discussing it, I think it's just how you react to the score. I mean, they always say you're most likely to either score a goal yourself or concede five minutes after a goal's happened in a game. And Leicester have obviously reacted really well and took the positives from scoring. Yeah, but is this Rihanna, Rianne Skinner just playing 4D chess so they've got more time to focus on the top three Champions League spot or do you think that they were gutted to be out of the cup? I mean, it's the magic of the FA Cup. I think any team who gets knocked out is a little bit gutted when they get knocked out. Everyone wants to be in it. Um, but I guess you have a point there. But no, I think I think they'll be upset to be out of it. Andrew, do you think that this allows them to focus on their WSL journey a bit more? Well, I mean, they'll have no choice. <laughs> you want to win every game. You want to you want to try and use um, you know you want to try and use victories as a springboard for for for, for going forward. Um, and I you know I think obviously now it does leave them free, free leaves sorry free spurs up to uh, to concentrate on things going forward. You never know, despite the you know, extra fixture um, or maybe even more, uh, Leicester might end up finding themselves, by contrast, you know, a bit boosted by, you know, an extra win and uh, try and take that performance, that form, you know, getting a win, albeit in extra time over Tottenham, uh, you know, can, can, can boost them for the league campaign as well. And looking over to another fixture, Southampton, in extra time, managed to put one goal past Bristol City for a shock win in the FA Cup. Andrew, I know Southampton is something you're very interested in the team. Well, it's certainly, uh, I'm, inter- I'm interested in the, in, in the drama of it, certainly. Um, yeah, they were the, um, they're in the third tier and uh, beating a second tier side. It's the, uh, it's the shock of the fourth round, really. Um, the, the, you know, the sort of the main headline. Um, goalless after 90 minutes and then uh, like it always seems to be when you've watched a game without a goal for 90 minutes and then uh, the winner is scored in like the first or second minute of extra time always seems to be the way you think why didn't they do that earlier um as you mentioned uh, Ella Morris's goal enough to see uh, Marianne Spacey Kale's side through at the Robins expense and uh, they really are upwardly mobile actually Southampton doing very well in uh, National League South and uh, they're sort of there or thereabouts with uh, with Ipswich in terms of, uh, you know, trying to get promotion to the championship, which, of course, isn't necessarily um, done on uh, on your league position. So they will probably uh, apply, I imagine, for a promotion at the end of the campaign. How important is that stamina to keep it going throughout that 120 minutes when you do push into extra time? And this is to Charlotte as well, because I'm sure you've played games where it has gone into extra time. You have scored just after the 90 and then you have to keep keep defending and hunker down or keep keep playing away. How, how difficult is, is it as a player, Charlotte? Well, your physical and mental fitness, all, like, it all comes together. So obviously when you're towards the end of the game, you're reaching 80, 90 minutes. That's when fatigue starts to kick in. And that's where the lapses of concentration occur. So when you experience those lapses of concentration, that's when it's most likely, you're most likely to concede goals. So it's so important. Your physical fitness is so, so important. It's actually something that I focus on quite a lot. Uh, during the start of my career, I wasn't necessarily one of the fittest players and um, taking a break away from the game, it's something that I thought, right, I need to really put every focus into physical and mental fitness, especially being a defender, for your concentration levels. And 
I mean, in pre-season, sometimes I even go without energy supplies from food and train for with lack of energy supplies to improve my concentration for when I, when it comes to a game day and I'm like the best prepared ever I can possibly be, I don't lapse in that concentration. And it's funny because when I've obviously, with me being a central defender and my job is to make sure everyone's mentally switched on, um, I can I can see when somebody's maybe done something a bit extra physically where they'll all of a sudden lapse in concentration and that's where you get somebody else to come and cover them uh, to make up for that. Uh, yeah, so to just to elaborate on your point, it's so important. Have there been any, Andrew, have there been any standout fixtures in the wider FA Cup that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, I mean, it covered pretty much most of the um, sort of the, the, the main stories. Uh, Sunderland, a, a club close to Charlotte's Heart, as we've discussed, came close to an upset. They took uh, WSL Strugglers Birmingham to extra time uh, before losing 2-1. Um, Arsenal, Chelsea and Manchester United all through, um, despite potential banana skins, uh, the Gunners seeing off uh, London City Lionesses 1-0 through Vivian Miedemar, following up with from her league goal uh, last week. Uh, Guro Wrighton scoring twice as uh, holders Chelsea started their defence of the trophy, beating uh, fellow WSL side Aston Villa, for whom Jill Scott and Rachel Corsi made their debuts after signing last week. We mentioned, of course, that uh, Emily on the pod last week that uh, Jill Scott might well sign. And Rachel Corsi followed that up. Um, Manchester United, meanwhile, overcame stubborn Bridgewater United, 25 places below them in the pyramid by two goals to nil. Two and a half thousand people in at Fairfax Park uh, to watch United go through courtesy of goals from Hayley Ladd and Ella Toon. And we can actually hear now from Bridgewater goalkeeper Beth Howard, who was in fine form throughout. And afterwards, she told BBC Somerset's Sheridan Robbins just how it all felt for her. Well, I thought it was amazing. Firstly, like thanks to all the two and a half thousand people that we had come out and support us today, it was an immense occasion. But like in regards to the team, I was just saying to you before, like we have we've done ourselves proud. Two 0 against the full time outfit is nothing to be ashamed of. And and I think one v one we stepped up to them. They didn't they didn't break us down. They didn't play through us at any point. Um, they've they've got clever movement, and I think we adapted well to it. So yeah, I think we can hold our heads high and be proud of what we've done. Big names, they put out a really strong squad, Martha Thomas, Ella Toon, and you saved some excellent saves from you in that first half to keep it at 1-0 because you were always in it. Yeah, well, we all, that was our game plan, really. We wanted to stay tight. Like We probably could have kept possession of the ball a little bit better, but our game plan was basically to stay in the game and, and see what could come of it at the end, and we, we did that. So we weren't expecting them to put out an easy squad. Like We played a full strength with Crystal Palace, basically, and, and beat them fair and square basically we were the better team on the day so Man United would have known that and they're not stupid so it was you know respect to them for taking it seriously for giving us a, a good game as well and I think to be fair there wasn't there wasn't that much in it really. Your FA Cup run has been remarkable yet to concede a goal just those two today it's been quite a run hasn't it and do you hope that these two and a half thousand come back and support you for that that league run? Uh, that would be amazing like with the results going the way they are in the league at the minute like there's still every chance that we can go on and win it we're not out of the league it's it's crazy so we need every single person here like um, I think we've won every game in the league here um, we've conceded one in the league so having everybody here to support us doing that is massive and hopefully we can keep that going and, and push ourselves up the table and overall you've been here since it was Yeovil Town ladies before it's the rebrand now and you're that number one spot how proud of you of the journey that you've made with this team 
Yeah, I mean, I've always wanted to be a number one. I've, I always want to be playing. That's the most. That's why we all. That's why we all play football. We want to be on the pitch and playing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm proud that we've got a team now that we can have days like this where we're, you know, we're playing Man United and we deserve to be. It's not. It's not a charity game. Um, we've we've won fair and square, built our way up to it, and we've we've played them in a competitive match. So, yeah, to see where this team has come is pretty incredible. And how much does that give you confidence for the league campaign, of course, the County Cup as well that you're you're still in? You must be really thinking you can really push on from here. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, our aims are always to get out of this league, and it's a very difficult one to get out of with the northern side of things as well. But we we believe ourselves. I think like playing Crystal Palace, playing Man United, we've shown that we can compete against those teams. So we there's no reason why we should go into league games doubting ourselves. So yeah, fingers crossed we, we go on up. It's the voice of Bridgewater United goalkeeper Beth Howard there with BBC Somerset Sheridan Robbins asking the questions. One other thing of note from that game, uh, Karna Solskjaer came on for United in that game. There's a familiar surname. She and Ollie are the first father and daughter to represent uh, United. Uh, just to give you some other lines, Man City cruising past Nottingham Forest, 8-0, Georgia Stanway getting a hat-trick. Everton uh, put four goals uh, past third-tier Huddersfield. Uh, just a bit of a shame that all the fourth-tier sides are knocked out, really. Uh, Billericay Town next to City in particular suffering penalty shootout agony against Coventry United and West Brom, uh, respectively. Uh, Newcastle lost to Ipswich and Lincoln were thrashed at Liverpool. Uh, there are also wins for Charlton at Plymouth and Durham over Blackburn. The draw at 7.30 on Monday evening, Chess. So if uh, anyone's listening after that, they may well know the outcome. Uh, be interesting to see who Slampton, Ipswich and West Brom face. They're the three remaining National League sides left in the competition. We had goals galore at Sheffield United as the Hammers put four past the home team. Melissa Phils scored in the fourth minute, only for the Hammers to equalise through a strike from Rebecca Rayner two minutes later. But the Hammers went on to score three more throughout the game, ending it comfortably at the end of the 90 as 4-1 to the Hammers, taking them into the next round. The transfer window has ended now. Um, should West Ham be worried about their leaky defence, Andrew, or do you just think this was bad luck them conceding against Sheffield United? Uh, it can it can it can happen. Sheffield United. I mean, one of those sides. A couple of last couple of seasons been there or thereabouts. Not had a, a great one this time round. Um, no, I think I think um, you know it, it's a comfortable victory um, in the end, and I think something that. Uh, that I think West Ham will 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 feel comfortable with their their day's work and probably comfortable with with how their squad's looking as well. I, you know, I think they'll um you know they'll be uh, they'll be okay going forward. Put it that way. No, I agree with Andrew. I think look, I I understand you know the discussion around that conceding against Sheffield United and and some other recent games, but I think you know overall. West Ham will be pretty pleased with with the season today. Um, I think especially when you look at last season and some of their sort of more recent struggles, you know, overall, I think they'll be absolutely fine. What can the Hammers do to improve on this in the future to tighten themselves up? I guess it's just, it's probably like anything. And I think it's probably just a case of, it's a very cliche thing to say, but just working on the training ground. And I'm, I'm sure that's exactly what they're doing because they'll they'll obviously be aware that that is an area where they can improve. Um, but I think, yes, I think it's probably just hard work, you know, day in, day out, which, which is what I'm sure they're doing. We have a defender on the call right now, a, a real life proper footballer, not someone in the Sunday league like us. 
what do you think from from a defensive point of view is kind of like one of the most important things to face sides that are potentially uh, lower down and lower ranked than yourself but still have that kind of fight and real real aggression what what would you what would you say to their defense I think you've got to look at the fact that Sheffield are obviously a league below West Ham there's going to be a lot of motivation especially once you concede to then go back and fight back and get into it West Ham have maybe been a little bit complacent when they've scored and they've maybe switched off a little bit. And like I say, that's when goals are most likely to happen. Uh, But, I mean, they've reacted so well and they've obviously bounced back and scored three. So you can't really complain. You just take lessons from it for the next game. Don't, Don't get complacent. You score a goal, you stay switched on all of the time. That's the rule of defending. Always got to keep that clean sheet bonus, huh? Always, always got to keep on it. Never complacent, always focused. Definitely. Over to the South Coast now. Lots of drama as we see Kelly Chambers continuing her masterclass by beating Brighton with her in-form Reading side. The goals ping-ponged back and forth between the teams, but Tia Prima clinched the 83rd minute goal from a close-range header. Now, Brighton had a good game last weekend where they drew nil-nil with Chelsea and they scored first against Arsenal in their midweek fixture, which they ended up going on to lose. But they just cannot clinch that win at the moment. Emily, what is up with that side? It's a a really sort of strange situation, isn't it? Because like you say, any any performance, I think it, it wouldn't be remiss to say is against you know when you perform well against Chelsea you've done well for most teams so to obviously get something from that game was really impressive and quite rightly earned a lot of the plaudits but I think again maybe it kind of just comes down to that confidence thing that they can't get that win over the line in any way at the moment and perhaps that's something that came to the fore in this game because yes Reading are in really really good form but I think with Brighton being also being a strong side and certainly over the course of the season, you know, would have fancied their chances there. So perhaps again, it just comes down to that, that sort of confidence and needing that victory to, to sort of spur them on towards the end of the season. Reading have really seemed to this season, definitely emulate a real belief in their own side that they can do it. They've come off the back of a shaky start to the season to a real in form for a side that potentially we might not have expected that from Charlotte, how important is that belief to have when you're in a side going forward to um, win and go forward with fixtures? To me, mindset's everything. It's something that I really focus on. And I think having that uh, that self-belief is really, really important and that positive thinking. And I mean, if, if even one person within the team hasn't got that self-belief, you then have to take the focus and attention away from another player and another player has to install their self-belief into that player. So I think it's really important that every individual has to focus on their own own mindset so then collectively it can work together and you have a stronger a stronger belief going forward. Do you think that Hope Powell can kind of shift into that for Brighton or do you think that they've they've kind of come to the end of their their push in the season and it will just be mid table for them? Uh, yeah, I think Hope Powell's the type of manager who does really help with the mindset of players. And I, I played with Victoria Williams also, and I know that she's a strong leader and she's going to help the players who maybe maybe lacking in confidence. Um, but yeah, it's just one of them. You, you have to learn from when your confidence does dip to then lift, lift it back up. And 
make it make it consistent because when you have that consistency that's when things start to work we're going to talk about transfers but before we go into the wider talk of the transfer market one transfer that did happen in January was yourself, Charlotte, and it was a pretty big one. You left Sunderland to head over to Switzerland to sign for Lugano. It seemed very, very sudden. So tell us how it came about. Uh, it wasn't quite sudden because uh, I was experiencing really difficult mental health issues uh, before Christmas and it was really difficult being at home Uh I almost feel like gated the place. It's just something that causes mental suffering. And as much as we always feel like we need to be at home, uh, there's times where you need to come away to just experience a little bit of spiritual growth. And I mean, it's a full-time opportunity where I'm not going to be struggling financially, something that I was experiencing the whole of 2021. Um and it just it's going to give me a chance to really get my, my myself sorted and get some stability behind me because you've always got to think about the person before the footballer and as heartbreaking as it was I had to cover the badge on my chest uh and when making the decision so it was it wasn't such a rash decision uh it's something that was well thought through lots of conversations with my mentors with the support at Sunderland um, and they really helped me think of that uh, think of what was right for me as a person and not just a footballer. Did the club reach out to you through an agent or were you actively looking at places elsewhere? Uh, I wasn't actively looking uh, as such but when I was obviously feeling my well-being starting to become affected that's when I was thinking of opportunities abroad, yeah. And I already knew an agent uh, who used to act for me before I took the opportunity to go to Hibernian. Uh, he, he got me opportunities for Italy and I was starting to think, oh, maybe the, those opportunities could happen again. Uh, and it, it wasn't Italy. It was uh, obviously Syria would have been a really good step and I had an opportunity to go to Syria if I wanted, but I thought because the season in Switzerland doesn't start until February again, it gives me a chance to get myself put right mentally, emotionally, before going back into football again. Uh, so that, that's why I decided Switzerland. And the scenery is just absolutely beautiful. You can't complain. It's a place where I'm definitely going to experience the spiritual growth I was looking for. Well, that's, that's really brilliant to hear. How are you finding things like the language barrier, for example? Uh, it's funny because obviously Switzerland, they speak either German, French or Italian. Mm. So uh, Not just one language to learn. <laughs> no, but the, the place where I am is uh, quite near Italy. It's Lugano is one, only one hour away from Milan. So they all they speak Italian here. So if this ends up being a stepping stone to the place where I've always wanted to play, Italy, because let's be honest, it's the art of defending. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it means I can uh, learn learn the language here without actually being in like such a heavy football environment. Because uh, I am obsessed with football, but the, where my mental state was, I wasn't quite ready for that. 
yeah you want to be able to get that proper balance there and if you're able to play full time and and then your spare time is your spare time it isn't it isn't just football to to enjoy the beautiful scenery that that you're living in at the moment do you have a dream club in the Serie A that you'd like to play for or are you trying to keep that one under wraps it's okay if you don't want to say I mean I would love a I would love a big club but let's be honest I think Juventus will be the dream and going on to talk about signings in the in the wider world at the moment I'm going to ask everyone this question so keep your thinking caps on who have been your top three signings in the transfer window and why have they stood out for you Emily I'm going to put you on the spot and throw over to you first so who are your top three why have they stood out okay well three yeah (laughs) um I would probably say, again, I know we had this conversation last week, but I think Jill Scott is a big signing for Villa. Um, I think for various reasons, as we said, I think it's mutually beneficial, benefits everybody or parties, but also I just think like, and I'm not for one minute saying that Villa are in a position where they need the profile, but I think having someone with that number of uh, England caps, that level of experience will only help. Um, And obviously just a fantastic sort of personality. So from a kind of PR front facing perspective, just a brilliant person to have on board. Um, Another signing who caught the eye, I think, was Jade Moore to Man United. I think that was very, very shrewd. Um, Again, just really, really experienced player. Very, very good person. Really good to see her back in in England and playing in the WSL. Um, And I think also, you know, United, OK, are having a pretty solid season at this moment in time. But in all fairness, you know, probably like most teams were looking to looking to improve. And, and she certainly does that. Third signing. I'm testing me here now. Um, I can throw on a lot. Else. Else. There, no, there, there, yeah, there. Do that. I'll have a think and come back to me because... Yeah, obviously, apart from yourself, Charlotte, I'd say that that's definitely at least one on those lists. Who are the other two that you think have been brilliant signings over this transfer window? Honestly, my my transfer has took up so much time. You don't know anything else has been going on. Honestly, like Tony, now that I'm starting to catch up with all the highlights, all of the all of the drama um, that I haven't really had time. Uh, it's been like a daily process where it's been really complicating because Lugano aren't necessarily the biggest club in Switzerland. So Sunderland have had to help them out with the transfer transfer. And I've been the link, I've been stuck in the middle of trying to communicate between Sunderland and Lugano. It's just took up so much time and effort and stress, a lot of stress. So, but Jill Scott used to be my coach and I'm so happy. I, I know she just wants to play. And it's I was fantastic. I was so happy to see that. Oh, that's brilliant. And Andrew, how about you? Well, I know this is going to sound like after timing, as they say in the in the uh, betting world. But Emily's stolen a, both of two of my three. Um, <laughs> so obviously, I was as a Villa fan, I was going to mention uh, uh, Jill Scott. Um, you know, we've 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 touched on her a lot last week, and indeed this week. Um, and obviously, Rachel Corsi going there um, is, a, is a good signing as well. Um, I think, obviously, you've also got to look... Um, I mean, I was also going to mention uh, uh, Jade Moore. Thank you very much uh, for that, Emily. Um, but no, I think there's... 
there's actually been some good good signings made by a lot of um, teams. I think uh, Stina Blackstenius will be a very good one as well, actually, um, at Arsenal, given um, you know, given the fact that um, that I think Miedemar's picked up an injury as well. So you know, she can score goals. Um, I mean, Emma Snell actually for West Ham, she might do a decent job there. Um, yeah, so I think I'll go with with those three, Corsi and, and the other two there, um, seeing as I've had to find five now, courtesy of Emma. Can I just mention uh, Sios Noonan? Is that how you say her name for Durham? Where has that's, she come that's from? A, that's a really good sign. And I know she was in Ireland, but uh, there was a lot of conversations where someone was trying to recommend me her to me for to, to see if we can get her at Sunderland and uh Sunderland were unable to do that but yeah when I seen that she had signed for Durham I was thinking that's that's a good signing yeah it'd be really interesting to see if they can kind of challenge challenge Liverpool for that top for that top spot oh, I don't know you know Liverpool are strong at the moment they really are. And actually, talking about other people having the draw of big signings, do you think Carla Ward is playing a massive um, a massive impact into why Aston Villa have seemed to get these big names coming in? Anna Patton, Jill Scott, people coming in from loan, Rachel Corsi, of course. Of course. I think reputation plays a, plays a big part. Um, and the type of personality you are as a manager, um, the reputation that you've got, you're going to attract good players. You're going to attract good people. Um, and I mean, Amber Whiteley at Liverpool, there's another example. Uh, she used to be my manager and I mean, she's a great person. And when you have an understanding person, you're going you're gonna to attract the big names. We are joined today by journalist Radha Gupta, who's been covering the Asia Cup in India with Beyond 90. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on. Not at all. I'm so so glad that you could come on today and we could have a we could have a proper chat about the Asia Cup with someone who is covering it in person. You just said we were just speaking before before we started recording that you you went to the all of the quarterfinals. How was that? Yeah, it was amazing. You know, it's not every day that uh, a major tournament is hosted in your country, uh, especially India. That's not very dominant in football yet. And so when you know when I heard the news that we're hosting this, I knew I had to apply for a media pass, do whatever it was to get in and, you know, watch it live. It's been amazing. Brilliant. Brilliant. So for you throughout the tournament so far, have there been any shock results? And if so, what were they? I would start by saying, I think that Australia scoring 18, although they were tagged favourites and Indonesia were newcomers and the lowest ranked team, you, you're not used to seeing that kind of a scoreline. Um, and uh, it just, Australia set, set out with one mission. And they stamped their authority right at the beginning. Everyone in India knows who Sam Kerr is. Mm. You know, she had to score a couple of goals to become the, the all-time record scorer in Australia. She scored five. You know, and that's the kind of player she is. And I think um, for Australia to come out dominating in that fashion, I was very impressed. And I think, um, you know, Iran as well uh, is the first time playing uh, in, in this tournament. And they played my home nation, India, in, in the opener. And again... All eyes were on that fixture, especially with our population. Everyone was rooting for uh, for our team, but they held us out. You know, they held us to a nil-nil draw. So I think I have to give credit to them there. So I think, you know, you've seen two extremes there. One team scoring 18 and the other team scoring none, but conceding none as well. And I think that's a victory in itself. Have there been any standout performances for both players and teams in the tournament so far for you? Yeah, I think I can't go past mentioning Philippines. Um, not just what um, they've done in the quarterfinals, but I think before that as well, they scored six uh, versus Indonesia, which again, you know, uh, 
you you would not have predicted and i think 6-0 is a very very convincing very dominating victory and it, and it sends out a message to their federation back home their players who are staying up to watch this sorry their fans who are staying up to watch this and just confidence within the the philippines camp itself so i think for me philippines was and is and will continue to be the team that has impressed me this this asian cup but you know other than that i think what i've been happy with is that the players who came in with a lot of expectations g and sam kerr and wang shuan from china all of them have performed and very often you see these big names maybe flop a little bit when it comes to big tournaments but seeing them carry their nation and you know put out a performance that their team expects and they expect from themselves and the staff expects from their skill set that's been uh, a, a you know a bonus for me i think it's always nice to see someone who's peaking peak at the right time and peak when there are many many people watching and you know that kind of sets a good exhibition and a good standard for women's football especially if a newbie is watching they'll be impressed instantly yeah completely you always want to see the the players who are at the top of their game really performing especially on such an international stage like this and if the sport isn't as popular in countries it's being broadcasted on it's definitely the best thing to see these sports um these sports women being at the absolute best of their ability you mentioned the philippines there because australia was obviously knocked knocked out um by south korea they've now made it to the semi-finals, which means the Philippines have qualified for the World Cup for the very first time. And that video of them scoring the penalty is wonderful. People who are listening in after this podcast, definitely go and watch it. The adoration in, in the players is brilliant to see. But do you think they'll be one to watch for the World Cup? Absolutely. I think, you know, I always love a good underdog story. And that was the reason I was also backing Philippines yesterday. And in fact, I was at the stadium and I was towards one goal. And all of us in the media box were just praying that the penalty shootout happens on our end. And all the camera people slowly started moving towards our end. And we said, it's happening. It's happening. We're going to see this in front of our eyes. And to see the goalkeeper step up for the fifth and most crucial penalty to keep her team in the game was incredible. And she said, you know, okay, I've scored this penalty. I'll go ahead and save the sudden death penalty. And then, you know, they cruised on to this incredible victory. You know, I honestly have become an honorary Filipino for, for the rest of the tournament just because um, I kind of feel the, the Filipino spirit resonates the Indian spirit in terms of the fight that they have and the level of underdog that they were coming into this. And although my team is out of the World Cup, out of the Asian Cup now, that energy, that fan energy, I'm sort of channeling into the Philippines. And so for anyone listening, you need to, need to you know, watch their semifinal. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, for real. And you mentioned there, unfortunately, India was out under very difficult circumstances. The host India had to pull out of the tournament due to a COVID outbreak in their squad. Now, do you think this has kind of affected the way that the host nation has seen the games or have they just, as you were saying before, latched onto a different team and carried on celebrating? Because it's a really difficult one. It feels very unfair. Yeah, no, it's been it's been very, very difficult. And uh, it's, it's hard to put into words how devastated we were because, um, you know, again, the federations, AFC, FIFA, whoever it is, has put faith into our nation to host this tournament and you know um, while I'm happy there's no other cases in you know other teams and no other team has pulled out it was really shocking to see that we couldn't manage COVID cases within our own camp especially since we were the only team that didn't have to travel anywhere we went from one city to another and we were we were there so it was quite shocking we also um, are still you know waiting for answers we have a lot of questions and there's been a bit of a silence that we're not happy with but uh, for the fans you know a fan of football at the end of the day you you follow the sport even if your team is out due to whatever circumstances 
if there's this massive tournament happening in your country, you're going to watch it for the football, you're going to watch it for the Sam Kerrs, and you're going to watch it for the underdogs who made it to a semi-final and qualified for a World Cup without, you know, making a sound. And it's that that's the beauty of the game, and I think that transcends whatever team you support. So while we are devastated, I think um, my sadness has been reduced by the level of football that I've witnessed and the fact that um, these teams are happy to be hosted in India and are playing in good conditions and, you know, are thriving here. Did you have any predictions before the start of the Cup? And have they come true or have, were you a bit off with them? Uh, well, a few of my predictions involved my nation, so that's not working out. Um, that's not your fault, though. So <laughs> that's not their fault either. But... Yeah, that's that's just a circumstance that we, we can't help. I think a, a similar final to the last two editions, which is Australia-Japan, and uh, again, Australia have been knocked out in the quarterfinal. There's two ways to look at it. I think, firstly, it's devastating for them. It's quite a shock for the football community that a team that has players like Australia does have been knocked out. But on the other hand, and on a hand that is a little more optimistic and exciting, is the fact that Korea Republic, you know, who who attacked to just be out in the quarterfinal due to a tough matchup, have actually proceeded to the semi-final and have knocked out Australia in such a fashion that people are talking about it. And I think at the end of the day, when it comes to women's football, we're still at a place where if people are talking about it, if there's an upset, it's good for us. It means that there's more coverage. It means that there's more reporting on it. So I'm very happy that Australia have been knocked out just because, um, you know, a thousand more people are going to watch Korea Republic in the semi-final. And I think another storyline that's come out of here is Philippines and what they've done. Never would have predicted it actually going into this tournament. I didn't know much about them. It's because, I mean, they're not very accessible to us. A lot of Asian countries and their streaming isn't. And so I'm really happy that this uh, this tournament has been, you know, streamed worldwide to whatever extent where everyone, you know, be in the US, be in the UK, are tuning into these Asian nations who, you know, are really stamping their authority on global football. And I'm very, very excited for Philippines. But yeah, unfortunately, none of my predictions have really worked out. It was a beautiful goal by Xi, though, to put to put oh. South Korea through. Oh, what an absolute screamer. Oh, no. Um, but I was talking about your predictions there and looking forward into the future. It's the semifinals on Thursday. Those games between South Korea and the Philippines and China and Japan are being played on Thursday. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, so fortunately enough, I'll be at the stadium for both the games. So I'm, I'm super pumped about that and super grateful for the opportunity. I think realistically speaking, Japan is going to make it to the final just because um, of how good they are and their track record. But again, track records mean nothing here, especially uh, with the upsets we've seen. Uh, I think China-Japan is going to be the semi-final to watch in terms of high-profile players and the stakes involved with both these teams having history. But then on the other hand, you have this again, you know, David and Goliath story with South Korea and Philippines. And I think uh, many times this narrative is what really uh, invites more coverage and what invites conversation. So both both the semifinals, although, um, you know, if you win it, you go to a final, it's got the same stakes. The narratives and storylines behind each of them is very different. And so for anyone listening, you know, if you want to get into a tournament, there's no better time than a knockout stage. That means so much. You'll get to you'll get to watch fantastic players, and you know I always have to boast about them playing on Indian soil. It's it's quite rare that this happens. Sam Kerr has scored seven seven goals in my country, which again you know um, makes me quite proud sec- through secondhand pride 
for however that works. But yeah, both these semifinals are very exciting. Realistically, my head is saying that it's going to be Japan, South Korea in the final. But my heart is saying that, you know, if Philippines can pull off one more upset, that will be the tale, you know, that will be said for many years to come. Andrew, there were plenty of action involving teams that were no longer in the FA Cup. Yeah, indeed there was uh, in the National League. Most teams have played a couple of games actually since last week's pod um, because of midweek action. But let's take a look at the current picture in the North and South after yesterday's games. Uh, Just three points separating the top three now in the uh, FA Women's National League North. Derby remain the leaders despite a 1-0 defeat at Burnley. That's because second place filed and third placed Wolves drew one all with each other. So Derby are a point clear of filed. Wolves are further point back, but they have three games in hand on the other two. Nottingham Forest and Huddersfield both involved in the FA Cup at the weekend and not out of the race either. At the bottom, Hull picked up only their third point of the season in a 0-0 draw with Middlesbrough, who drop into the relegation zone. Loughborough Lightning went above them after a 5-4 win over Brickhouse Town. Uh, Stoke pulled clear of the drop zone with a 2-1 win over struggling Sheffield. In the Southern Premier Division, Oxford United took advantage of leaders Ipswich being involved in cup action to cut the gap at the top to four points with a game in hand. The U's beat Portsmouth 3-1. Cup giant killer Southampton are eight points behind Ipswich, but now have four games in hand. Gillingham are now fourth in the league after victory over London Bees. At the bottom, still no goal in their last 22 league games for Hounslow as they were beaten 1-0 by MK Dons boosting the visitors' hopes of climbing out of the relegation zone. Chichester and Selsey are also in dire straits after defeat to a Cardiff side who have now earned two crucial wins in the last few days against relegation rivals. Uh, that puts them six points clear of the drop zone. Uh, Canesham Town, who beat Cardiff in midweek, uh, who uh, lost to Cardiff in midweek, midweek uh, are hovering just above the bottom four after defeat at Crawley Wasps. Uh, Plymouth Argyle will hope they can use their games in hand to drag their Canesham, uh, drag Canesham and Cardiff back into the mire with them. So that's how the National League is looking, Chess. Many thanks to Charlotte for coming on and best luck, best of luck for the rest of the season. Emily, Andrew, many thanks to you always as well. Now that's it for this week. Don't forget to subscribe to us via all good podcasting platforms. Leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter at TWFP1 and the Women's Football Podcast on Instagram. Have a great week, everyone, and I'll see you all soon. 